The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Blessings and a happy resurrection day to you, wherever you're at. Trusting and believing that God is doing wonderful things in your life, bringing you and those around you closer together by His Spirit. I know He's doing great things across this land, throughout our city, in our households, and I pray that He continues to do that. I'm excited to get into the Word with you on this uh, Resurrection Sunday, believing and trusting God for great things to come from His Word to continue to enrich our lives. As we get into the Word together, I want to share with you some things that you can anticipate, uh, things that you can look forward to. Uh, even there where you're watching, if you're watching from home or if you're watching from a, a location that is unusual or abnormal to you, I want to encourage you to do your best to dial in, pay close attention, whatever note-taking uh, materials you would normally bring into the church, take the time to get those things out, take some notes, and trust and believe God to speak to you uh, personally and individually as he speaks to us as a congregation together. Uh, as we get into the word, I want to give you a few things that we're going to look for. Uh, you can take these things down for your notes. They're things to look forward to, things to, to stir your interest, and kind of milestones as we get into the Word together. Uh, one of the things that we're going to find is what happened at the cross. Now, there's some things that took place at the cross of Jesus Christ that are important for us to note. And if we can take the time to see in the Scripture what these things are, we can see the wonderful and the valuable, the important work that was accomplished on our behalf at the cross. Another thing that we're going to find is what Satan wants silenced. Now, there's a message that Satan wants silenced. Now, there's a number of messages that I believe he's willing to tolerate, but there's one message that he wants silenced, and I believe we're going to see that clearly in the Word as we get into the Word together. A third thing that we're going to find is what makes us victorious. Now, there's not a single person that's listening to this that doesn't need to see God's victory in their lives in one way, shape, or form. I know there are many ways in which I need to see God's victory, and I'm trusting and believing for him to bring that powerful victory into my life uh, by his spirit. So as we get into the word, I want to open up with what happened at the cross. We mentioned before it's one of the things we're going to find. What happened at the cross? I want to give you a few passages of scripture as we look at these things together. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. I want to look at verses 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6. They read like this. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, <laughs> okay. And by his beating, we are healed. And all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's a lot going on there at the cross. And you can see that this is an intentional work. These things that are happening, this is being spoken before the cross comes to pass. This isn't a report, an afterthought, an update on what happened. You know, like we would turn on the news and find out what happened 
earlier in the day or earlier in the week. This is being spoken before it comes to pass, revealing that everything is being written here is intentional. It's by God's design. It's His plan. It's His purpose to bring these things to pass for me and for you. We see that all of these things have an effect, that all of the things that have taken place are intentional, on purpose, that Jesus is the one who is suffering, and that we are the ones who benefit. I want to look at a few of those benefits before we move forward. You can look at verse 10 in the same chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. The Lord was pleased, it was the will of God, to crush him, putting him to grief. Now, if you have an amplified Bible, it's going to say something different there. It's going to say, made him sick. It's a really interesting translation. It's an accurate translation. In fact, I believe it's the accurate translation. To look at this and to consider that it was the will of God, that it was God's pleasure to put Jesus to grief or to make him sick. It goes on to say that if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring, he would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's me and it's you that are prospering. It's you and it's me that are having our days prolonged. It's us that are receiving the benefits of Jesus being made sick by God upon the cross. Jesus became the curse. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, might come unto the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus Christ became the curse on the cross so that we ourselves could be relieved from the curse. Another benefit of the cross or something that took place on the cross can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It reads as follows, He made Him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus. These are all things that are taking place at the cross we need to understand. And it makes perfect sense when we put these things together and when we consider what all is going on, not just in the benefits that we receive, the things that we learn about at church and the things that we celebrate in our song and in our receiving of the word, but we understand what actually happened. I mean, I want you to consider something for a moment. I want you to to try to take yourself back in time a couple of thousand years. You know, grow your beard out and put on your robe and put on your sandals and go back a couple of thousand years and stand in the crowd at the foot of the cross. And I want you to consider something. I mean, not focus on the brutality and not focus on, on, on the sorrow in the morning, but simply observe what's happening. There's something going on there, and it's absolutely miraculous. Now, we've already talked about the benefits, and those are the results of what happened. And those things are incredible and good to talk about. We should talk about them, and we will continue to talk about them. But I want you to just consider what's going on. If you've taken yourself back to that place in your mind, you're imagining yourself at the foot of the cross, standing in front of a crucified Jesus Christ, ask yourself, what's happening? Don't get lost in in the groans and the crying and the, 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 the crowd, but simply look at the man pierced, hanging on that wooden cross. He's dying. Now, lots of men have died on crosses. This was nothing new, but there's something about this that we need to understand and observe. It's the fact that death is taking place to one who does not deserve it. 
Now, when we think of that, we just think, well, he's innocent, he's not guilty, and he didn't deserve the the punishment that the court gave him. But there's something that goes far beyond that. I mean, this man literally did not deserve to die, not just because he got a a bad rap in the court or or he got a a bum verdict or or something went wrong and and he was, was falsely accused, but yet this man had no sin. When we understand what's going on, when we understand the, the power of sin and what sin brings into this world, we can take a look at what's going on and realize this is miraculous. I want to give you a passage of scripture to help the wheels turn in your head there. It's out of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I want you to consider this passage. The wages of sin is death. That's the beginning of it. Now, the wonderful reward that we love to read is the end of that. The free gift of God is eternal life. Well, we're going to focus on the free gift of God being eternal life. But right now, I want you to consider that the wages of sin is death. You have Jesus, who the Bible declares knew no sin. The blameless, innocent, spotless Lamb of God, nailed to the cross. And in this this moment where history is completely changed and transformed, where where the, the Word of God is being fulfilled right before the eyes of all who are in observation, all who are observing, all who are watching, all who are looking on. Jesus offers up His Spirit and He dies. Now, on a Resurrection Sunday, we talk about the resurrection, and and we're going to, as we should, but I want you to consider not the miracle of Him coming out of the grave, but I want you to consider the miracle of one who's sinless dying in the first place. If death is the result of sin, and Jesus had no sin, then how did He die? He died because He took on Himself your sin. He died because he took on himself my sin. He died because he took upon himself all of the corruption that I'm responsible for, that you're responsible for, that collectively we're responsible for. This is what is going on in this single point in history. All corruption and the results of it, the curse, sickness, sin, all coming on to Jesus. And the one who was spotless, the one who could not die, Because he took on our sin and our iniquity, he died. It's something to consider. It can shake us out of of routine thinking that Jesus is a good man, a a mighty prophet who led lots of people uh, on a moral and ethical path and and he was was, uh, rejected for his message and he was killed. There's so much more to what's going on at the cross than that. It's a very shallow take to limit your thinking to that. The reality is, here's one who death had no grip on, death had no hold on, death had no claim to, and yet he died. He died because he took my sin and yours. That ought to boost our faith to understand that everything we read in the gospel is absolutely 100% true. Or else he wouldn't have died. Resurrection Sunday comes around and we do, we focus on the empty tomb and the miracle of resurrection. And I think we jump the gun when we do that. When I consider the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the miracle I see is in the death in the first place. The one that death had no claim to could die. 
And you can see throughout the Scripture that this is God's plan, that it's intentional, that it was prophesied long before it came to pass, that God executed His plan perfectly when He executed His Son by making our sins, our corruption, to fall upon Him. Now I want to get to the resurrection. Because I believe another promise is fulfilled here that ought to increase and boost our faith. It is a point of celebration and and a point of of faith boosting in such a way that it transcends all of the lies and the deception that exist in the world waging war against it. I mentioned before we're going to find out a message that Satan once silenced. And I want to offer this to you. It's the message of the resurrection. I believe that there's a number of messages that can be preached. A multitude of topics that can be declared. Believers could meet and gather and discuss a number of things involving Jesus Christ and His teachings. But when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe that is the message that Satan wants silenced. You can see an example throughout the Scriptures. When you read the book of Acts and you see the persecution of the apostles, you can see words like this. I want to read to you Acts chapter 4 verse 2. These people are greatly disturbed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus resurrection from the dead. I mean, people are being identified as as crazy or as lunatics. They're disturbing the peace because they're preaching resurrection from the dead. I mean, when when, uh, Peter and and when, when the apostles are incarcerated, it's for preaching the resurrection. Paul himself was on trial. And in Acts chapter 23 and in Acts chapter 24, you can see that he says, I'm on trial for preaching the hope of the resurrection of the dead. There's a number of messages that can be preached. And people will love to hear them. And they'll be met with little opposition. But when we begin to preach and speak of the resurrection, we begin to wage war on the gates of hell. I want to give you the the definition of the word resurrection. We're going to use it a lot today in this message. We're going to use it a lot over this weekend with it being uh, Resurrection Sunday. But I want us to understand the definition of the word. I mean, many of us just simply think, well, to, you know, to come back to life, and that's great. That's a wonderful definition. In fact, that is the definition. But I want to offer this, this definition from the dictionary to let it expand that. And as I'm reading this definition, I want you to ask yourself this. Is there a part of my life, is there any area of my life where I need that? Resurrection. The act of rising from the dead. Arising again as from decay or ruin or disuse. The revival or the act of reviving. When I read the definition arising again from decay or disuse, there's a number of things that leap in my heart where I long and desire to see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ active in my life. The calling and the anointing that He's placed upon me that has been uh, taken for granted or has been set aside while other things have been pursued is in desperate need of a revival to be resurrected for the purpose of being released and bringing into existence the fruit with which it was called to bring. Uh, Resurrection is, is the most valuable message that God could release through the Word. 
And Satan does want it silenced. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Romans about why this message would be so important. Why our enemy would want it silenced and why we need to proclaim it. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. It says, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. What an amazing thing. I mean, I want to talk about that for a second. I'm going to read it again, and then I want to discuss it. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The passage goes on to say, according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Being resurrected from the grave is what sets Jesus apart as the Son of the living God. You have to understand and know that there's been many prophets and many teachers who have come legitimately bringing the Word of God. Powerful ministries and tremendous anointings. But every one of them who's gone to the grave remain there. But it's the resurrection of King Jesus that sets Him apart from all who would ever come before or even after as the one, the only, the anointed Messiah. I want to give you another reason why this message is so important, this message of resurrection. I want to declare another purpose behind our need to declare resurrection. And another reason why our enemy wants it silenced out of the book of Acts. As you read the book of Acts, you see wonderful teaching and tremendous power of God uh, being released into the world. And you can see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 33, that there's a connection between this release of power and this truth that's being released through the ministry of the apostles and the resurrection. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it reads like this, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. Now I read that passage of scripture and it speaks a number of things to me. I mean, one, growing up in in a charismatic community or or a spirit-filled community, desiring and longing to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow through my life and the lives of those around me. I come to see that that has a direct connection with, with what's being declared, what's being affirmed, and what is being testified through my words and through my actions. When you read that in Acts, you see that the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was this message that was receiving this confirmation through power by the Holy Spirit. You can see that the result is abundant grace. The word says, and abundant grace was upon them all. I love the concept of that. Not just upon those who were testifying of the resurrection of Jesus, but even those whom they were testifying to. That's the only way you get all out of that passage. I want to bring the abundant grace of God not only into my life, but into the lives of everyone around me. I want to begin to speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in my everyday life. To not simply just believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but to begin to testify that He is alive. That He's King of kings and Lord of lords now and forevermore. I want to testify of His resurrection. You know, we spoke earlier about the miracle of Jesus offering up his life. That he would take upon himself our sickness and our iniquities. That he would bring into existence freedom and victory from those things. I want to give you a passage of scripture that speaks of that freedom and that victory out of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
beginning in verse 54. When resurrection comes, or when the imperishable comes, when resurrection comes, then will come the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Resurrection. And we can put together all of the programs and all of the activities to try to minimize sin. But God hasn't been putting together programs to minimize sin. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin, to take our place upon the cross, to take our iniquities, to take our sickness, to take sin and the curse upon Himself, take it into the grave and not bring it out. God isn't interested in establishing programs that make us sin less. God has accomplished the destruction of all of the results of sin in the resurrection. That Jesus would take all that was corrupt, all that was deserving of death, all that was inside of humanity as a result of the original sin and absolutely destroy its power and authority over our lives. We have a call to walk in these things. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It's written to you and it's written to me. And it reads like this. Walk in the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Know that we may know Him through this and the power of His resurrection. Through the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, we may also attain to the resurrection from the dead. The way that we live our lives and our call to walk in the righteousness that God has blessed us with through faith in Jesus Christ positions us not only to relate with the suffering that Jesus would suffer, that's obedience, doing what God would call him to do even when he didn't want to. That's ultimately the call of God upon our lives. To do what God wants and not what we want. And the result of that being, sharing in the suffering equals sharing in the resurrection. That life that is free from the sting of of death. That life that is free from the corruption and all that existed in the fall of man. That life that walks in the resulting victory upon being delivered from those things. I want to give you keys to walking in the resurrection. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of the gospel of John chapter 5 verse 25. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Out of that passage of scripture, I I can pull a number of things to apply to my life. I want to share them with you so that we can apply them together and see the result. That result being resurrection life, that life that is victorious passage of scripture 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 35 it says but some will say how are the dead raised that which you sow does not come to life unless it first dies that's the first key to living the resurrection life that God's called us to we can't live in that resurrection life unless we first die There can be no resurrection. There can be no revival unless something has first died. And we have a call to die in our flesh to sin and carnality. 
Jesus spoke of this when he spoke in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but forever, whoever loses their life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here out of Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. We are in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. For us to live out a life called to victory, walking in the wonderful calling of resurrection that has been placed upon our lives, we have to die. It means following in the footsteps of Jesus, doing the will of God, crucifying the flesh, and walking in that freedom from sin. So you see again in John chapter 5, verse 25, an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. First of all, they have to be dead. Then they need to hear. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I want to offer you a couple of passages of Scripture as we pursue these keys to living the life of resurrection. First was death, second, hearing. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 28. It says, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when those who are in their tombs who are dead will hear the voice and come forth. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give to them eternal life. They'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's important for us to tune our ears to Jesus. Now, there's some practical things that we can do, and there's some things that need to be activated by the Spirit of God, and He will fulfill His promise to do that. But in order to tune our ears to Jesus, it's going to involve tuning out everything that's not Jesus. We can begin to eliminate all of the voices of anxiety and fear and corruption that attempt to direct our steps. And we can begin to dial into what Jesus has released through his word. God is absolutely perfect and there's nothing that he has put in his word that's not on purpose for me and for you. As we apply it to our lives, as we walk in those words, we find that we're listening to Jesus and following in his steps. And upon doing so, we're led out of death and into life. Again, to John 5, 28 and 29. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I want to offer you this as a third key to resurrection the first being dying to self, the second being hearing the voice of Jesus, then the third being obeying the voice of Jesus. What good is it to hear his direction or to hear his counsel if we won't receive his counsel and walk in it? I want to give you these benefits from the scripture here. John 3 verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, Rather, we'll see the wrath of God. I'll give you a passage out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He's the source of eternal salvation because of who he is. In John chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, you see Jesus revealing who he is when he says, I am the resurrection. I'm the life. 
He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's the power of resurrection. It needs to be the message on our lips. It's the key to victory. I mentioned before we're going to find out what we need in order to walk in God's victory. I'll give you a passage of scripture here as we close. From the Psalms, Psalm 138, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will resurrect me. You'll stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will make me victorious. It's God's promise. It's his gift to you and to me through Jesus. The first miracle that Jesus would die in the first place. That he would offer himself in our place. Taking our sin and all that is corrupt from us upon himself. It's the reason why he could die. Because he knew no sin and death had no claim on him. And upon coming out of the grave, he did not bring those things out of the grave with him. But the Bible says that he took them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. He carried into the grave the curse and sin and all of its corruption. And he brings out of the grave the resurrection life that God has promised for you and for me in Jesus. I want to pray together this morning. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful work that has been done on the cross by our King Jesus on our behalf. We rejoice that it was your intention, your plan, to manifest your love for us in such a wonderfully powerful way that you would remove from us all affliction and all corruption, all that was leading us to death and all that gave death claim to our lives. And upon setting us free from those things, you would release unto us the benefits of your kingdom, holiness, and the life that comes with it. I ask now in Jesus' name that you would reveal to each one of us in our hearts and in our minds and our physical bodies and our spirit, let resurrection life surround us. Let it not just simply surround us to be hoarded for our own pleasure and our own benefit, but let it flow through us and be released. That we would speak of the resurrection. That we would declare these things as true and that it would be evident in our words and our actions. That not only do we believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf, but we believe that he came out of the grave to bring resurrection life into our lives here and now. We bless your name and we thank you for this wonderful work. And we ask that as we receive your word together this morning, that Jesus be glorified, that your kingdom be expanded, and that we be united by your spirit in truth. We bless you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champions Church.